Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith, and this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. Hey guys, just a note about this episode. We recorded most of this uh, a few weeks ago before everyone was uh, social distancing, before kind of the... We realized the gravity of the situation. Yeah, so if it seems like we're not thinking about it or talking about it, it's because it haven't happened yet Yeah, in our lives. Don't worry, we just threw in a Corona quickie for you. Yeah, there you go. So welcome to episode 41 Welcome. Welcome. What a great week. What a great day. Oh, it's a beautiful day out. The it has been. Sun's outside. It has been so rainy in Atlanta. It's just been a dreary, dreary, cold, wet winter. <laughs> wet winter. And we can't even really complain because it's cold, but still 50 degrees. Like it's, that's cold. I'm a baby when it comes to the cold. And I grew up in New York, but I still yeah. like, I, I'm wearing my coat right now. Yeah. You've acclimated. <laughs> I never take my coat off yeah. in the winter. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, you lived in New York too. And you're from Ohio. Yeah. It, yeah. This is not cold. Um, but it's well, the wet and the dreary. That's just makes it real sad out. At least the sun's out. So that's a good thing. I feel like a new person. I do. I do too. We went hiking the other day on one of the sunny days. And I just, I really, I was like, oh, all of the studies that say it's good for your mental health. All of a sudden I always forget. And then I get out there and I'm like, oh, right. Everything's wonderful. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it. It's like all of a sudden. I got a phone call from somebody selling something work-related, um, some software. And he called mm-hmm. and he was like, how are you? And I was like, good, how are you? And he was like, well, it's 75 and sunny in San Diego, so I'm doing great. And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> and I hung up on him. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, it's real shitty here in Atlanta. What the fuck do you want? Now sell me something, bitch. Yeah. So anyway, should we get into our cookies? Yep, I think so. Okay, let's do it. Okay. Okay. You're first. You know how I like always do holiday themed quickies? I do know that. I promise you that I'm not just going to do Corona themed quickies Uh throughout this experience we're having, (laughs) but I'm going to do one today. This is actually really interesting. Um, So this article came from Vogue and it was written by Elise Taylor and it just came out today. Meg Zukin, who is actually a writer and social media editor at Variety, just tweeted something into the internet. She used to always tweet things like say, hey, if you got a story about good acne remedy, get at me or whatever. (laughs) You know what I mean? So to make a joke, just wrote, If um, this was her tweet, she said, if you live with a significant other and think all the co-quarantining won't cause you to break up <laughs> or will cause you to break up, email me a map. Email me at megzukin at gmail.com. I'm not writing a story. I'm just messy and love drama. Like, just totally kidding. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, people just started reacting. So people kept sending her all of these messages about their 
co uh, quarantining experiences, uh-huh. which we all have. Right. And then she was like, yeah, well, God, I have to do something with this because I have like all these people are writing me like there's something here I need to take off with. So she started what's called the social distancing project. Well, she encourages people to write in their experiences, but then she also encourages people to donate to the COVID-19 related charities for people that have been affected and need money. So she's doing good with it. And within just a few days, she's already made about, or raised about $6,000. Can Isn't I hear crazy? some of the things? Or is she just yes, putting them to herself? of course you can. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, okay. I'm also messy. <laughs> so um, one of them uh, was, this was a message on uh, March 15th. It said, I live with my boyfriend and I actually tried to break up with him pre-corona craze. I love that they're calling it a craze. (laughs) (laughs) Wacky thing we're all doing. All the kids are doing the corona. Uh, (laughs) I live with my boyfriend and actually tried to break up with him pre-corona craze, but I will wait until all this blows over because I'm all comfortable and shit. Oh, this one I think is so funny because I can relate to this. Okay, it says, being stuck at home during a lockdown has inspired me to get projects done around the house that have been painfully ignored. This includes painting the recently installed drywall and putting up new mirrors around the vanity in the bathroom. During this new normal, both my significant other of seven years and myself are working from home on a daily basis. At first, I thought this was fun, like a snow day, (laughs) but inexplicably, (laughs) everything he is doing is driving me insane. The amount I snap at him is increasing exponentially by the day. So last night, when I asked him if he could finally hang the mirrors in the bathroom, he hesitated. Are you sure you want me to do this right now? He said... (laughs) This is a valid question to ask after I demanded an hour earlier that he eat dinner at the opposite end of the house from me. (laughs) But I'm stubborn and strong-willed, so I, of course I replied, yes, it'll be fine. One hour, one broken screw, because power tools are acceptable for cheap target hardware, and three extra mistake holes in the wall later, my significant other is slamming <laughs> doors and tools around because my first reaction to one of the mistake holes being visible outside the frame of the mirror was, quote unquote, too negative. <laughs> I'm crying in the mirror because to avoid digging this hole deeper, I can't add that it's so fucking off center. I'll never be, I'm never going to be happy with it. <laughs> We'll probably survive coronavirus, but we might not survive each other. (laughs) That is so funny. I love that. And it is so relatable. Um, Okay. And then I'll just do this one last one. This guy that I've been friends slash more than friends with for a while hasn't texted me in a few weeks. And as soon as the virus drama started, he Snapchats me with, what are you up to? And I send him a snap of me in bed looking longingly out the window saying quarantine. And he responds, can I come over? Like, no, I just said I'm quarantined. (laughs) Oh, no, I I lied. One last, last one. One last one. Um, It just says, my husband's stress farts smell horrific. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I think so. everybody go on this. It's called the Social Distance Project. Um, It's great. It's so funny. We all need a little entertainment right now. Send in some um, stories of your own, and it's a great place to donate. So, um, I think it's a good catharsis. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so that's my quickie. I love it. All right. So my quickie is actually something that I thought I might do for a longer story, but I couldn't find enough on it. But it is a real sweet story. Oh, yeah? 
Um, so this is just about, not about romantic love. This is about... Candy love? Not about candy love. This is the about The way you love. said sweet, I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, she's going to throw I a can pun see in what there. you're doing. <laughs> no, this is just uh, love, love between a parent and child. So Aww. Peter Mutabazi grew up in Uganda. And at age 10, he ended up running away from an abusive home. Aww. And luckily, he had another adult who helped him get through school he said, they became my sponsor, my family. I grew up the poor of poorest people on the planet. I grew up where no one told me to dream that there was no future for me. But he found this person and um, and eventually he moved to the United States. He became a citizen. He works with the nonprofit World Vision United States, which helps kids living in vulnerable areas. He started taking in children in the foster care system, and he has cared for about 12 children over three years. Wow. So on January 16th, Peter got a call from foster care worker Jessica Ward, and she asked if Peter would take an 11-year-old boy named Tony. And Peter said, yes, of course. He had done it many times. And so, so Tony came to his house, and Peter knew right away he was special. He had been given up by his birth parents, and had been in foster care from the time that he was two to the time he was four. And when he was four, he had been adopted by a couple in Oklahoma, and that's where they were living at the time. And he lived with this couple until he was 11, and then his adopted parents left him at the hospital and never came back. And they have no idea why. Oh my God, that's heartbreaking. Isn't that heartbreaking? So Peter, who's single... Uh, was really originally just supposed to have Tony stay at his home for a couple days, but then he heard Tony's story. And he said, by that time I was crying. I thought, who would do that? And once I knew the parents' rights had been signed off and he had nowhere to go, I knew I had to take him. And they've been together since that day. Peter decided he wanted to adopt Tony. He said, I had the room, the resources. I had no reason to let him go. He said, for what someone did for me, I wanted to do for someone else. And so on November 12th of 2019, Tony Mutabazi was adopted by his foster dad, Peter Mutabazi, and they moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. And Peter says he's the nicest, smartest kid, kid I've ever had. From day one, he's always called me dad, and he truly meant it. He's proud to show me off in school and say, hey, he's my dad. And I just love him. And the social worker said, Peter's story is all around beautiful and amazing. Because of the age Peter was when all the things happened in his world, I feel like that's such a connection for him and Tony. And Peter and Tony enjoy watching movies, playing board games, reading books, and bicycling together. And he and Tony are actually looking forward to welcoming a new foster kid who will be in their home pretty soon. Aww. And you have to see, I can't wait to post these pictures because they are like the cutest. So cute. Cutest ever. Man, you're making us cry in a quickie. Yeah. Well, I was going to do it for my you? love story. Just, <laughs> just it Long enough. No, it's so <laughs> sweet. I love it. Aww. That's very sweet. That's so amazing. Oh, man. It feels a little weird to pivot like this after your sweet, sweet quickie. <laughs> uh, but we go down, we go in, we go out. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready for a crazy story? I am. I'm too, I'm feeling too happy and warm. I want to feel angry and indignant. Oh, man. Okay, this story is going to break the fourth wall a bit. Okay. Because the show which I got all of my information from Mm -hmm. was just, I still can't believe it's a real show. 
I it, did I dream it? <laughs> was it a mirage? <laughs> did this happen? It apparently it was in 2016 and only three episodes were made. Yeah. I found this on my my Amazon like special Oh yeah, your special thing. ID yeah. channel. Um, it's a show called Heartbreakers. Have you heard of this? No. Oh my god, it's a true crime show and it is like t- real true crime stories reenacted by famous television actors what? of the late 70s to the early 90s. Amazing. Can you even believe? So tell me who was in the <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I can't wait. So this first episode that I watched was called Shot Through the Heart. Uh-huh. And it was starring Christopher Knight, also known as Peter Brady. Uh-huh. Judy Gold. Oh, from... Um, is that... No, I'm like... I'm like... No, oh my God, I got to look up her name. I'm calling her Judy Gold. That's like a famous yeah. actor. A famous comedian. Judy Gold. That's what I mean. Yeah. Famous comedian. Um, who, 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 Judith White? No, who played Carol Seaver in Growing Pains? Judy. No, no, no. Tracy Gold. Tracy, Tracy Gold. Gold. <laughs> Not Judy. And also Heartthrob Antonio Sabato Jr. <gasps> yes. This sounds amazing. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Okay. So this story took place in a small town in East Texas in the early 1980s. And it all centered around Hull de Seta High School. Where Hurley Fontenot, which I told you his name the other day. You thought I made it up. It's very much a real name. Hurley Fontenot, played by Peter Brady, Christopher Knight, was the high school principal at this school. And Christopher Knight... Obviously, you guys know him from the Brady Bunch. Yeah. But I think he... Doesn't he also, like, have a furniture collection at Overstock.com? What? Does he? <laughs> I just keep seeing the Christopher Knight collection, and I don't know if it's his collection or if there's, like, a furniture designer named Christopher oh, no. Knight. I'm, in my mind, it is his collection. All right. That's all I picture whenever I see his patio furniture. Um, so Hurley Fontenot lived a very quiet life in this easy, small town in East Texas, and his life was fine until one day the school hired a new secretary mm-hmm. named Laura Nugent, also played by Tracy, Tracy Gold. Gold. Oh, man. Oh, man. Do you remember that made-for-TV movie about anorexia? <gasps> yes. Yeah. Because she, she had anorexia too, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's I remember I that being about a very <laughs> intense, intense movie. Yeah. Laura Nugent started working at the school, and Hurley was instantly smitten with her Mm -hmm. like here was this gorgeous young new person in town he was just infatuated with her and he would hang around her desk all the time Mm -hmm. and he would ask her out for coffee and stuff and apparently he thought of himself as a very handsome man and he thought that if he kept pursuing her he would eventually get her to crack which i saw pictures not that handsome yeah and fyi dudes don't don't just just don't 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 wear it. don't try to wear us down. You've already worn us down. We we're worn out. <laughs> we're exhausted. We're exhausted. Well, apparently his tactic worked though. Oh. <laughs> Laura was reluctant. Yeah, something bad is gonna happen, and and then oh, I'm gonna be proven right. You will. Yes, yes. Something <laughs> bad will happen. So Laura was reluctant to date him because not only was he her boss, but he was also older. His name was Hurley. Yeah. And uh, she, but she also was like, he's so sweet and he's attentive and he's thoughtful because she had been married two times before Mm -hmm. and neither of her husbands like made her feel that special. Yeah. So 
one day when he asked her out again to dinner, she finally accepted. Mm -hmm. So they go out to dinner, and this is where I'm going to break their fourth wall because the show breaks the fourth wall. Yeah. Okay, so during the dinner scene when they're eating dinner, she's like, oh, it's so great to finally be out uh, on this date with you. Like, what do you think? Uh, What are you going to order? And then um, Peter Brady, also Christopher Knight, also playing Hurley Fontenot goes, I don't know. I heard the pork chops and applesauce were great. <laughs> pork chops so, and applesauce. So great. Okay. So then they had dinner. Wait, we should say for our younger listeners that... Oh, these are Brady Bunch references. Yes, a Brady Bunch reference. Okay. Pork chops and applesauce. We'll, we'll post a clip. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to post clips, but I trust that yeah, you I do. I don't know. I'm just saying I will, and then we'll see. <laughs> Google it. Just Google it. Um, So they had dinner and then they started a sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. And Laura thought that it might be best to keep it all quiet because they have a working relationship. And Hurley was like, yeah, 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 great idea. Let's definitely keep it quiet. Especially because he was married. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. He was married to Geneva Hurley. I saw her and I thought that I recognized her from something, but then I IMDb'd her. Yeah. And I didn't, but nice actress. Okay, nice actress. I'm doing good for her. <laughs> so for good for her. This. Good for her. Great, great booking. So Geneva Hurley and Hurley had. Um, Wait, I'm sorry, not Geneva Hurley. <laughs> Geneva and Hurley. She didn't take his last name. She, <laughs> she took, took his, his first, first name. name. Geneva Fontenot and Hurley Fontenot had two children, and they had been married for 20 years. Oh, that bastard! And Laura knew that he was married but he kept promising her that he was going to divorce mm-hmm. his wife and geneva of course because it's a small town she started to hear whispers around town about this affair and she was livid and she confronted hurley about it and he couldn't deny it and so he did so only months after meeting laura he ends up filing for a divorce and hurley took laura out to dinner and surprised her with the divorce papers and was like guess what how 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 romantic romantic. yeah but she was thrilled because now they could finally be together apparently hurley was extremely devoted to laura and Mm -hmm. was very very much in love and then in 1983 the high school hires a new football coach Antonio Sabato Jr. And in walks Billy Mac Fleming, also played by Antonio Sabato Jr. <laughs> I was like, Now the juxtaposition the of Antonio Sabato Jr. wearing a gym coach outfit. And, <laughs> like, it, it's just so jarring. And they're like, there was, your name's Billy Fleming? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I'm Billy Mac Fleming. <laughs> They're like, my senses were all over the place. It's like, I'm seeing him, I'm seeing this person, and then I'm seeing it's a true crime documentary, but it's also like very, like an 80s movie. It's crazy. That sounds amazing. I so highly recommend. Look it up. Okay, so Billy Mac Fleming had moved from Houston to this smaller town in Texas, and he was instantly the big fish in the small pond. Yeah, like he everybody was like, from the big city. Football coach. And plus, in Texas, I know because I watch Friday Night Lights. Uh-huh. Football's life. Football's life. And the football coach is a celebrity. Yeah. You know what I mean? So everybody wanted to know who this guy was. Yeah. And so, you know, here's this hot young secretary, and here's this handsome football coach. So they immediately caught each other's eye. Mm-hmm. And they started flirting with each other. And here's, I'm going to break the wall again. <laughs> and if you guys don't know this, he was in um, 
he was a soap opera actor and Antonio Sabato yeah too. and yeah. Uh, most famous for Bold and the Beautiful and while they're they're flirting mm-hmm. Tracy Gold goes you're bold and then he goes you're beautiful oh Jesus <laughs> <laughs> and why can we not get jobs as writers <laughs> I don't know and so uh, here's the thing about Billy Mac Fleming is that he was also married. Oh, God. So he was married to a woman named Linda, who was his second wife. Mm-hmm. And they had a blended family because he had a child from a, her, his first marriage and she had children from a previous marriage. Okay. But Hurley and Laura had already started to have issues. Everyone thought that Hurley was this like pillar of the community, high school principal, but in um, he actually had a secret gambling addiction and drinking problem. Mm-hmm. You don't say. And so <laughs> rumors started to circle around town and it wasn't like a good look for Laura. But at this point, they had already been together for two years, but Laura was starting to pull away from him. And things also weren't working out for Billy and his wife. Mm-hmm. And then he ended up asking his wife for a divorce. Um, so he got his own place and he moved out. He didn't tell his wife that it had anything to do with his infatuation for Laura. After he leaves his wife, he tells Laura he left her and then mm-hmm. he wants to be with her. You know, like, I finally left my wife and now I want to be with you. And she's like, okay. Man, this woman must have. A really great personality. One of the women... Okay, so one of the the commenters on this episode... Commentators? Yeah. Uh, she wrote a book on it. Okay. I can't remember her name, but she wrote a book about this love triangle. And she was like, man, all she had to do... She sounded very bitter. Yeah. But she was just like, so all this girl had to do is just sit at a desk and romance just came to her. <laughs> like, what the hell? that easy so they started to have an affair also i forgot to add that during this show the characters like mid scene will break away and look at the camera and start talking to the camera it's very jar and i'm telling you like it'll (laughs) blow your mind so right as they started to have this affair like antonio sabato jr turns to the camera and goes i never wanted to be part of a love triangle but what the heart wants is what the heart wants. No. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. So they all work at the same friggin' school together. So of yeah. course, Hurley starts to notice that something's up. Right. And so he tells Laura that he doesn't like Billy Mac and that he wants her to stay away from him. And then Laura ends up breaking up with him and telling him, like, look, I fell out of love with you. Things are over. And mm-hmm. I just want to keep things professional from here on out. And in March of 1985, Laura officially starts seeing Billy Mac very seriously. Mm-hmm. And after three months of dating, they agree to get married as soon as his divorce is finalized. Dang, dang. Dang, dang. So Hurley tried confronting Billy Mac about their affair and warned them that they needed to break up or he would make things really hard for him at the school. Uh-huh. You know, he was like, you know, I'll make your life a living hell. Billy being like, twice his size was just like dude get the fuck out of here because he was huge and Hurley was like this little man who thought he was handsome Hurley then decides to write a letter to the school board and exposing Billy and Laura's affair and he signed it from concerned parents but really he's the one that wrote it saying like they're having an affair and this is inappropriate and as parents we ask that you transfer Billy McFleming out of the school Uh but they didn't and so they were like well they're two single adults yeah so 
who cares? Hurley starts to act really strange around school. And when Hurley finds out that they plan to marry, he tries to fire Billy. But Billy's like, you can't fire me. You need the school's approval. Yeah. You know, you can't just... So... Get the fuck out of here. Oh, so Hurley made a last ditch effort to try to win Laura back by proposing to her. Like, I'll still take you back. Will you marry me? And yeah. she was like, no, you know, this is, you need to get this to your head. It's over. I'm marrying Billy and we're not getting back together. He seems to take all of that in stride because mm-hmm. he even ends up getting back together with his ex-wife Geneva. Okay. So he goes back to her, and everything seems to be poor before Geneva. the storm. I know, poor Geneva. Unless she turns out to be the murderer, then not poor Geneva. Well, let's see. Let's see. Ooh, stay tuned. Let's see, shall we? <laughs> I never wanted to be part of a love affair. I just... <laughs> so in the meantime, Billy's divorce was about to be finalized. And on April 12, 1985, the day that his divorce was about to be finalized, Billy Mac Fleming went missing. Mm. Yeah. So several days later, his body was found in Polk County on a long dirt road in what they called the East Texas Badlands. Okay. Yeah. When they found him, he had been shot execution style in the head twice. All people could talk about, because it's such a small town, Right. all people could talk about was the murder, and rumors were flying everywhere, and right away the police are talking to Laura after they find out that they had a relationship. Uh, But they were also looking into Linda, his ex-wife, because he was killed the day that their divorce, or I'm sorry, it was the day before their divorce was supposed to be finalized. So there was possible financial motivation for her. So Linda was at first the number one suspect, Mm -hmm. but then when rumors started to circulate about the love triangle between Laura, Billy, and Hurley, and this town, and it's rumors. Rumor, Rumor, Texas. (laughs) They started looking into him. After they talked to people, witnesses say that they also saw Billy get into Hurley's truck that Friday after school. So he was the last person to see him alive. Yeah. And then when they looked into his vehicle, they find tree bark. I forgot to mention that when they went out to the Badlands and found his body, they saw that there was a tree right next to his body that looked like a vehicle had hit it. Okay. Like a scratch from the um, yeah. a vehicle. And so when they went out to his truck, they found the tree bark from the site where his body was under his car. Idiot. And then they found blood on the back of his car. Idiot. Idiot. Yeah. So in, on May 16th, 1985, the police issue a warrant for Hurley Fontenot's arrest, and he turns himself in voluntarily, but he maintained his innocence. Mm-hmm. He's like, I had nothing to do with this. But when he stood trial, the prosecution... Prosecution painted this picture that on that Friday early evening when they were both leaving the school that Hurley confronted Billy, uh, pulled a gun on him and forced him into his car. Yeah. Drove him out to the Badlands and then shot and killed him. But there was no smoking gun. Like they never found the... They the never gun. the gun, yeah, <laughs> and everything was considered to be just circumstantial evidence. It was okay. just circumstance that there was blood on the back because I don't think they had DNA testing. Then. Oh right, 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 right. Yeah, um, that there Early was 80s. blood and that there was tree bark and all that stuff. So the whole town though would show up every single day and watch this trial. Yeah, they said that they were taking tickets for it, which I don't know if you really can. <laughs> <laughs> so after a long deliberation. 
In the case of State of Texas versus Hurley Fontenot and the murder of first degree, the jury found him not guilty. Yeah. Not guilty. So Linda, Billy's ex-wife, like fled the courtroom, Mm -hmm. devastated. And so did Laura, left Mm -hmm. devastated. She ended up moving out of the town and starting a new life. And she just like couldn't believe that the system had failed and Hurley Fontenot had gotten away with this. But then... They show Antonio Sabato Jr. post posthumously <laughs> was <Okay>. like <laughs> Antonio Sabato Jr. was like, yeah, it looks like he got away with it, but maybe it was poetic justice because three months later, Hurley Fontenot died of an alcohol-related heart attack. What? So he died. But here's the thing: is like in the background of Antonio Sabato talking to the camera. Yeah. You see Christopher Knight on a park bench drinking alcohol, <laughs> then clutching his chest and going, <laughs> and then falls to the ground. And I just left the show like mind blown <laughs> like christopher knight was just like oh my god you know it'd be so funny yeah <laughs> <laughs> if i sat behind you and like had a fake heart attack so this is the true story of hurley fontenot and billy mag fleming but also the what the fuck did i just watch <laughs> on this episode of Heartbreakers, which also Heartbreakers rest in peace because it no longer exists. Do you think it didn't get more episodes because it was basically just like making complete light of somebody's real death? Oh my God, that's what I just did. No, no, you made fun of a TV <laughs> show. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So sorry. Um, no, I, I honestly, I feel like if it would have gotten enough press if the public had known more about the show we would have never let it slip through our fingers <laughs> well not in today's we true would have crime, never let it true go. crime climate it was maybe before it's time i think it was before it's time yeah I maybe mean, we should bring it back should we pitch heartbreakers 2 the reboot i think so and i really i haven't okay, watched dibs, the second dibs. two episodes but i do know that they're starring grant show melrose place oh yeah and i saw jamie lunar from just the ten of us. What? I they mean, got all the good. Come on, throwbacks. Highly recommend. You guys watch the show. Let us know what you think. And let's get back talk to about us. it, friends. Let's talk about it. <laughs> I'm excited. I will take your Amazon <laughs> password. password. Yeah, I'll give you guys all my Amazon password. <laughs> hey Jen. Hey Sally. You ready for a love story? Yes. So mine's little... Is it starring Antonio Zubato Jr.? I wish. Well, just in your mind, imagine this the guy I'm going to tell you about as Antonio Zubato Jr. I feel like it would be, All right. it'd be better. So I got my information from um, an article in The Atlantic, from Wikipedia, and from The Good News Network, my favorite news source. So this is a story of the tree of love the postman, and the two letters that changed his life. I read that all by myself. I love it. Oh, this all started in 1890 in a small market town in northern Germany near the Baltic Sea called Jutten. There was a chocolate maker from a nearby town who fell in love with the forester's daughter. Her father didn't approve of the relationship, so the two lovers started leaving each other's notes in the knothole of this giant oak tree in the middle of a forest. Eventually, the girl's father had a change of heart, and so he threw them a wedding ceremony under the oak tree, and that's how the tree got its name, the Bridegroom's Oak. 
So as the story of the couple's romance spread, people began to see the oak tree as this good luck symbol, and they started writing letters and putting them into that same knot hole in the tree. And the tree was like, as it grew and grew, it was like overwhelmed with mail. And so in 1927, the German Postal Service decided to give the tree its own mailing address. So they added a mailbox um, around the knot hole, and then they put a 10-foot tall ladder that you could climb up to. And so people would put letters in, and then you would go and you would put a letter in, or you would take a letter out. And then people would become pen pals, and they would write to whoever wrote the letter. So... Um, the only rule, they made a rule that if you open the letter and you didn't want to respond to it, you just had to put it back in the mailbox so someone else could find it. So the tree became this like huge legend. It was said that if a young woman walked around the base of the tree three times under the full moon while thinking of her beloved, they would become married within a year. Oh my God, I bet every full moon everybody was like, right. my turn! <laughs> I gotta walk Get around. out of the way! Uh, you were here last time! <laughs> It's been a year. I'm pretty sure this is not working. <laughs> so couples who had been united by the tree would carve their initials into its trunk. So you would go and you would see all this evidence of these couples that have been brought together by this tree. So in 1984, Carl Heinz Martins became the postman for the bridegroom tree. So at that time of his life, Carl was not in a romantic frame of mind. His marriage had broken up and he was sharing custody of his 12-year-old son, Olaf, with his ex-wife. It was an amicable divorce, but he just said that at that time of his life, he had sworn off dating. Mm-hmm. In fact, this delivery route was not, like, it sounds fun, but it wasn't a desirable one. Like, previous, post, previous mailmen, who were mostly bachelors, often complained about the mile-long detour, so they would have to do their own route, and then they would have to take this detour into the woods where they would have to get out of their thing, climb up this ladder, and there were always tourists around who were trying to, like, see if the, when the mailman was going to come and what the letters were going to bring. So Ernest Pries, who was the first mailman for the tree, told the Boston Globe, I wasn't thrilled about at first about having to go out of my way to deposit what I thought were stupid love letters. I was going to say, I was thinking about the postman, like you have to go climb this 10-foot ladder every yeah. day? Well, and there were always, because it became so popular. I mean, mean, 10 feet, I guess, isn't that high. It's not. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, I mean, I feel like my mailman yells when like our car is too close to the mailbox. Oh, yeah. She's like, I have to get out of my my truck to put the letters. And we're like, we're sorry. We didn't know. So when Carl took over the post, he wasn't into the romance of it, but he did believe in the power of letters. So Carl's mother, Yvette, had been a teenager in France during the Second World War and his father was a German soldier when they had met. And his father was like kind of a high up guy. And he decided that he was like, I want this beautiful young woman who worked in um, a laundry where they washed the German soldiers clothes. And so he basically was like, I'll take you. Like, And so they were married right away. Wow. And his mother was only 17 when Carl was born. And his father at that point was a parachuter and he was uh, missing in action and he was presumed dead. Wow. But then months later, Carl's father was found in a hospital in Italy and then he was transferred back to Germany. And so Carl's mother brought Carl as a baby to Germany to reunite with her husband but since she was she was 17, she didn't really know this man. She didn't know his family. She was homesick for France. And so the grandparents 
convinced Yvette to go home and leave baby Carl there in Germany. And so Carl grew up with a stepmother and actually only found out about his real mother when he was 12 or 13. And so eventually Carl got older and he took a job at the post office where he sorted mail and returned lost letters. And when he was 25, he came across a letter that was addressed to him. So that came across his desk. It was addressed to him at his grandparents' old house. And they hadn't lived there for years. It turned out it was a letter from Yvette, from his mom. Oh, my God. And she wanted him to come to France to meet her. And his father was like, no, you don't. You can't go. But Carl went right away. And during the few days that he spent with his mom, Carl said he felt like they had never parted. His mother's husband was a French cook and his meals were amazing. And Carl said it all started to make sense. He had always like enjoyed French food and culture. He was like, I have the same sense of humor as like his mom. And it was a very like French quirky sense of humor. And he said slowly he and his mother rebuilt this relationship. And he started to visit her like up to five times a year whenever he could get off work. And he never forgot that it was all thanks to this letter. So he did believe in the magic of the mail when he took this job. And this was at a time when the Berlin Wall was still up. So the tree and the town were in West Germany. And Carl would often get letters to the tree from East Germany. And people, sometimes they wanted romance but a lot of times they just wanted to know what life was like in the west and so he wanted to write them back but his boss was like that's not a good idea so carl would just send them this photocopy about like the tree's legend and all of this stuff so he would mail them something back but it was just kind of like a form letter but in 1988 carl delivered a letter to the tree from an east german town The letter was mailed by a lonely nurse named Claudia. She said she saw a news item about the bridegroom's oak and she was excited. She saw at the end of this news story, she saw the address of the tree and she scrambled and wrote it down and she wrote a letter. So shortly after he delivered it, it was discovered by a man named Friedrich Christensen, who was a machine technician and lived in West Germany, just very close to the forest where the tree was. And his mother had told him about the tree. And so so one day he just kind of like was nearby and decided to go see it. And he looked into the knot hole and he found Claudia's letter. And he thought, she sounds like a perfect match. And he said, I just liked her handwriting. <laughs> so they ended up writing back and forth. But because of the wall, they weren't able to meet each other. But then one day after they had sent all of these like, these really personal and passionate letters, Friedrich decided, I've had enough, I have to see her. And so he went to the border with like a sketchy map and a lie, and he told the guards that he was visiting a cousin. And so they were like, you can you can cross for like a very limited amount of time. But he, of course, he was going to see Claudia. And so after this just one short meeting, the two ended up getting engaged in the summer of 1989. And then after the wall fell, they got married in May of 1990. Oh my gosh. So theirs was only one of numerous love connections that sprang from the letters to the tree. So another couple, like in late 1980s, uh, this woman named Karen's husband died and she was just lonely for the first time in her life and she decided all right i'm gonna write i'm gonna write to the tree like why not give it a shot and around the same time this man named hans peter Jord, his marriage was ending and he had gone to tell his aunt the news about his marriage and she suggested going to the bridegroom's oak so hans decided okay it's worth a shot and the first letter he pulled was karen's 
And he wrote her back that same day and just weeks later the two were together and Karen said it was love at first sight. Oh my gosh. There was another story of a man who lived hundreds of miles away and came to Uton for a vacation and he went to the tree, took a letter and it ended up being a letter from a woman who lived just a mile away from him at home and they met up, fell in love and got married. Whoa, this is a magic tree. Yeah, so Carl saw over and over how love and friendship and hope bloom from the tree and he began to see his like taking this route as like a privilege. And over the years, he started being asked many times to do news stories and radio interviews about the tree. And he continued to deliver the mail. And then one day, as he climbed the ladder to the mailbox, he noticed a letter. It wasn't addressed to the tree, but it was addressed to him. And the letter was from a woman named Renata Hines. And she was a wine seller in her late 50s. She lived in a town near the French border, and she was divorced with a son of her own. And she had been watching TV one day when she saw a story about the bridegroom's oak featuring Carl. And she said she felt an instant connection with him. And when on the TV show he said he was single, she turned to her son and she said, I'll change that. (laughs) And then she sent him a short note that was like on the back of her business card. And it just said, I want to get to know you. And so she included her phone number and Carl, who said, I have no time for letters. (laughs) He decided to call her. And soon they were talking for like hours at a time and they were racking up these huge phone bills and they decided to meet. And he knew she lived close to the French border and he thought, okay, I'll just head there on my way to see my mom. And if we don't like each other, I'll just jump back in the car. And his friends were kind of astounded that he wasn't, didn't seem nervous, but he told them, I've done this before because when the letter from his mother had arrived out of the blue, he'd driven to France to meet her and look how that had changed his life. Oh, yeah. So... Since this was before GPS and smartphones, uh, Renata had given him directions to the parking lot. And when he got there, he saw this blonde woman in a summer dress standing alone. And he said she was so friendly that any awkwardness melted away. And they got there and their first date lasted two days. Oh, wow. And when it was time for him to leave to go to his mom's, they were didn't want to be apart. And so Renata came with him on their first date. And it wasn't long, just a few months later, she agreed to move to Carl's town. And that didn't seem crazy, she said. She said, if you got to know each other via the bridegroom's oak, it's different than with someone you met at a disco. So in 1994, five years after they got together, they got married at the town hall. And after the ceremony, they were ordered to the tree by friends who had prepared a surprise buffet under the branches. And later they partied at Tonchin, which I think is like a big dance hall and the local newspaper called it the wedding of the year renata and carl were married for 24 years until she passed away in early 2018 he said he liked everything about her and they called each other sweetheart carl who's now retired still visits the tree often and he said i do believe there's something magical about the tree i'm getting goosebumps just thinking of it And although the tree was diagnosed with a fungal infection years ago, it still stands today, and you can write to it if you want to roll the dice with fate. (gasps) Oh my god, I love this! Isn't it great? So are we going to include the address? Yeah, we'll include the address. Oh my god, this is amazing! How did you even find this? It was, I was started writing as a quickie, and then I was like Googling it to see if I could find something else. There was so much more and there was so it. much more. Oh my God, that is crazy. Isn't that crazy. I love that so much. I know. I magic. Wanna... It's magic. A magic tree, the bridegroom tree. Oh, man. Hey guys, 
we have a Patreon now and we want you to join because we need you. We need a, we need some support and we would love to give you guys some extra fun content that we can't do just on our weekly podcast. So, yes. um, so I'm just going to tell you guys, you know, you guys know how Patreon works. You find us at Dumb Love Podcast on Patreon and we have three levels. Um, so for $3 a month, that is our quickie level. Um, you get 20% off of all Dumb Love merchandise. You also get like a sneak peek of our new stuff. We're going to have some new fun stuff coming out soon. And you also get one extra quickie episode each month. So that means you'll get, we'll both do quickies. It'll be a fun, it'll be a shorter episode, but it'll be a fun Patreon exclusive episode. And then if you join our crazy level, which is $6 a month, you you get that. Plus you get behind the scenes photos and videos from our recordings and then also from stuff that we're doing in our lives, a monthly dumb love advice video. So we're going to be taking questions like dumb love, love advice and Jen and I will give you some dumb answers. And then you also get a personal thank you note that I'm sure Jen will write because she's real good at that. And then for $10 a month, you get all of those things plus... There's more. There's uh, more? Yeah, you're going to get a monthly AMA, so you can ask us any questions you want, and and we'll do a video of that. And then you'll also get some exclusive Dumb Love Level swag. That's what, that's what their Patreon's about. So join up. It would really be helpful to us. Help us keep the podcast going and kind of support. You know, there are a lot of fees and stuff that go along with podcasting, and that would help cover those kind of things. Because we want to do this for forever. Yeah, because we if really love doing us, this. If you you'll guys, have us. If you'll have us, and we promise to make it worth your money, and because we would really appreciate it, and we're gonna do some fun stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right. Are you ready to do something dumb, something I love? You know, I always am ready. Okay. I was born ready. Well, I feel like this actually kind of ties in with your love story because you know these people on the tree they're meeting so quickly and mm-hmm. then falling in love right away yeah remember how i talked about how i was going to go back and watch love is blind um a blind love no love is blind love is blind i keep saying blind love but yeah. it is love love is blind mm-hmm. um hosted by nick and jessica <gasps> shit did it again <laughs> I'll never learn. Uh, Nick and Vanessa Lachey. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said I was going to go back and watch it because I wanted to see what the big hoopla was. And uh, I fucking loved it. Did you? The thing that's dumb is that I sat there and I watched all of them and in like a day and a half. I yeah. watched eight episodes of it. I watched it obsessively. It is so good. I can't... Even if you don't like reality shows, it's just the fastest-paced... Action packed. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty crazy, but what's crazy is even though while some of them you're like, are you guys nuts? Yeah. Um, there have there is a couple. I don't want to give everything away if you haven't watched it, but there is a couple that is. There's two couples that are still married to this yeah. day, and one of them, it's like I don't know if you're gonna make it or not, <laughs> but they seem happy. But the other couple. You're like, yes, like I wanted you two to get married and you're so perfect for each other and so in love and there's such a real, real love story. Yeah. The whole like world is rooting for them. And yeah. They're such a lovely, I mean, they're all lovely. I hate to sound like such a dick, but um, so the thing that's dumb is how uh, dumb it is that I watched all of them right away, <laughs> but I really did love the show and I highly recommend it. But um, um, wow, yeah. it's pretty crazy how like sight unseen and within like days they're 
proposing to each other. So the show is like so much more than just like them sitting in pods and meeting each other. That's just episode one. Yeah. And then by episode two, they're already engaged. And then by episode three, they're on like they're on a vacation together. And then it's just like it goes so fast. It's insane. It's crazy. And it all takes place here in Atlanta. I read... Oh, really? Yeah. I I read that they actually had eight couples propose. The producers thought they were going to get like one or two. Yeah. And they would follow them, but they had eight couples propose. And so they actually had to be like, oh, some to some of them be like, okay, bye. Like they didn't follow them. They didn't end up following them. So they only filmed. They only had- Good luck with yourselves. Yeah. they (laughs) They were only set up to film- like six, five or six couples wow. after the proposals. Oh my God, I want to hear about these other people. Yeah, so I don't know if they're still together. I just read it. But wow. I will tell you that the dumb thing is that I watched some of it and I did Hated it. it. Like oh, you're such an asshole. But you know, but now that I know that it's more than the pods, because I only got through the first episode. Oh, it's so much more than the pods. Okay. The, I would say the first episode is the most boring episode. Okay. That is the most like... I, I just was like, it was very cringy. I have, I have a hard time with that. Oh, no, there's cringy moments through and through. Yeah. <laughs> so that was why I couldn't... It's, the first episode, I would say, is the most... The least happens on that okay I'll, mm-hmm. I'll go back okay. i'll go back but i think that's probably my dumb thing because i knew i'm not gonna force you to have a good time <laughs> <laughs> that's a decision you'll have to make um well my thing i love um jen i don't know if you've ever heard of these things they're called books oh you like to read <laughs> books with your eyes no with my ears Oh, okay. Um, but I've read two books lately that I really liked, and they were both really light and fun. And Listen to them, or you read them with your eyes? I read, I read them with my ears. Okay. Jen. That's okay. fine. I'm not taking that away from you. It's still it's still reading. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to them. Uh, so one book is called Ghosted by a writer named Rosie Walsh, and the other one is Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes. And so I recommend those. Nice. What is Ghosted about? Is it like a about ghosts it's not it's actually about a woman who meets a guy they have this amazing like six day whirlwind fall in love kind of like (gasps) love is blind and then and then she doesn't hear from him so it's a mystery it's a mystery Ooh, it's a good one i liked it 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 took me a little bit to get into and then it was like (gasps) i can't i was like up at night like trying to finish it oh my gosh i mean by trying, I mean just trying to stay up and listen like to it. Like laying in your bed while it played in your earphones. Yeah. Nice. I was working really hard. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Nice. I will check those out. Check them out. Yeah. Um, and I'll give your, your dumb TV show another try. All right. Deal. Okay. Deal. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, I hope if you haven't, check out our Patreon. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dumb Love Podcast. Send us an email at dumblovepod at gmail.com. Give us a rate and review and have a great week. Get out there and go do something dumb for love. Dum